You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. If you have a Bible, let's uh, open it up to Psalm 43. We're going to be looking at Psalm 43 this morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the tables in the back. And uh, we're working our way through some psalms this week, uh, this summer, and today is Psalm 43. It's a really, really helpful psalm. I'm really excited to walk through this with us today for the sake of our discipleship. Um, Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for how you have promised to use it in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the gift that it is. We thank you how Jesus modeled using your word for the sake of our spiritual power in the world today. Um, Lord, would you help us? Would you help us to be conformed to the image of your son like you say in Romans 8? Um, for, the, for the sake of your glory and our joy, through your word this morning, May it be so, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So look here at uh, the first verse of Psalm 43. It says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. So have you ever been unjustly accused? Have you ever been unjustly accused? It sounds like that has happened in the life of the psalmist here, right? Can some of you relate to that? I was thinking this week about the horror of stories coming from the Jim Crow South. A hundred years ago, a few before, a few after, black men and women unjustly accused, lynched. Many of the perpetrators of those crimes never brought to justice. A lot of those people took those crimes to their, to their graves. So many African Americans throughout the history of our country have been brutalized, battered physically, emotionally, spiritually. Some lost their lives. And if you were one of those people throughout the history of our country, this this first verse would be easily on your lips. Unjust and ungodly men failing to see that all human beings bear the image of God and for that reason alone deserve honor and respect. But that has not happened in the history of our country. And if you're a Christian, African-American, you could run to Psalm 43 and have this be your voice. And I'm sure that has happened. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. I think of our day right now. An unjust and an ungodly man in Russia has decided to invade Ukraine 
and the body count just keeps rising. And if you're a Ukrainian citizen, having your life ripped away from you, this verse can be your voice. Vindicate me, O God, defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. Now, most of us probably haven't experienced something as intense as that, as these two examples, but, but most of us, if you've lived long enough, you're going to experience something probably that's going to cause you to use this verse to be your voice. <clears throat> Vindication in the face of injustice. Like, like, God, make it right. I can't do it by myself That's why I'm crying out to you. I'm powerless, but you are powerful. God, would you make it right? That's the the life situation of the author of the psalm here. He's just telling us where he's at. This is my circumstances. And you've probably been there or, or you will be one day. Like, I've been there. And then in verse 2 comes the emotions. You've probably been here too if you've endured false accusations or just a gross injustice that's been imposed upon you. These are oftentimes the feelings that we feel. Look at verse 2. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? It's like he's saying, I've been coming to you, God, year after year as my refuge, as my place of safety, as my place of of, of rest. But now, where are you? You seem to be gone. Like when we're in the heat of feeling unjustly sinned against and wanting to be vindicated and God doesn't bring it in the way or with the timing that we think he should, that we think we need, oftentimes it's very, very easy to feel like God has rejected us, like God has Rejected us. Like, God, where are you? Don't you see what I'm enduring here? How can you be silent? God, your timing, it's not working out for me. There's many people in the Bible that you can read about that experienced these emotions, not just the psalmist. I mean, the first one that comes to mind for me is in the book of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons. One of those 12 sons is Joseph. And Joseph was brutalized by his brothers. They beat him up, threw him in a pit for dead, but he didn't die. And slave traders from Egypt came and they took him. And that would be bad enough, right? Gets to Egypt. He starts to have some favor and and, and and things are starting to work out for him. And then he is unjustly accused of rape by the wife of a high official, and he's thrown in, in, in jail for two years, in prison for two years. Can you imagine that? 
Imagine he would be feeling like this. God, where are you? Why have you rejected me? I can't believe this is happening to me. Many years ago, I endured a very, very significant trial in pastoral ministry. And, and oftentimes, it's usually when I was by myself. Maybe like, I'm honestly like standing in the shower because you only got little kids. Sometimes that's the only time when you can have some alone time. Um, and uh, standing in the shower and just like, God, where are you? And just kind of rocking back and forth, just like pleading with him, like, why is this happening? Like, where are you? Why are you not fixing this? Where are you in this? Look back at verse 2. He says, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Like that word mourning, it's very real. Like we use that in English, the word mourning, oftentimes in reference to death, right? Like we are mourning the death of a loved one. And when, when someone close to you dies and you're mourning them, it feels like weight, it feels like confusion. It feels like disorientation. It feels like de depression. But that can happen in our lives, this mourning that the psalmist talks about. That can happen even when there's not a death. This very similar weight can happen in divorce and betrayal and theft and assault and rejection. Like that word mourning is very real. Many of us in the room have tasted that. You know the weight of that that just sits on your shoulders. The psalmist is there right now. And we don't know the details of his life. But we do know it's a, it's a universal human experience at times. To like, I know the right answers, but my feelings are trailing behind. There's the right answers here, and there's my feelings over here. And it's like this Grand Canyon between them, that there's no way I'm going to traverse that. And that disconnect, I, I've, I've been there. It's hor it feels horrible. It feels horrible. I hate it. <clears throat> so verse 1 is he's describing a situation. He's describing his need. Verse 2 is, here are my feelings, God. I feel like you've rejected me. You've been my refuge, but where are you now? And I'm just carrying the weight of what feels like death around. But now is when it starts to get good. And here comes the request. Look at verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Let me read that again. Here's what he asks. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. So, so look at the request here. This is a great model for us. Notice he doesn't say, man, I got this. I can handle this. I've got what it takes. I've got the resources. I've got the knowledge. I've got the, the, the control. No, it's the ex exact opposite of what he says. He says, I can't handle this, so I'm going to have to look outside of myself. 
not looking inside. He's looking up and he's looking out. And man, I love how we can interpret this verse post-cross and empty tomb, right? He says, look at it in verse 3, send out your light. What did Jesus say? I am the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. The psalmist says, send out your truth. Jesus came and what did he say? John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The psalmist says, let your light and your truth lead me. If we use these words from the psalm today, it's just simply asking Jesus to lead the way because he is the light. He is the truth. It's like, Jesus, lead the way in this horrible situation I'm in. I'm confused by what is true and what are lies. I can't see. It's all dark. I need your light. I need your truth. I need you. Jesus is the light. He is the truth. He is what we need. It's when we sing, Lord, I need you. That's what we're singing. But look at the progression. When that happens, when light and truth come into the situation, it leads us. Where does it lead us? Where does Jesus lead us? Where does he lead? It says, to your dwelling And that's just Old Testament language for the presence of God. You lead me into your presence. Into your presence. In the Old Testament, this was the temple, right? And that's what we're going to see him talk about that. Jesus came and he said, I am the temple. Okay? So when we read this as New Testament Christians, again, we're seeing Jesus all over this. Jesus is the dwelling place of God. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. In the midst of crazy injustice and the deepest need for vindication that you've ever felt, the psalmist reminds us that what we need most is the presence of God. You see that? More than rights or more than wrongs being righted, more than justice coming in, as good and as necessary as that is, more than vindication. As good and as necessary as that is, we need God and his presence. See the psalmist, verse 3. We need God and his presence more than anything. You see that? He's just saying, I want to be where you are. I want to be in your dwelling. I know that your light and your truth are going to lead me somewhere. It's going to lead me to you. I need you more than I need solutions. See that? And when that happens, what does that lead to? When that happens, what does that lead to? It leads to worship. Look at verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. It leads to worship. When you're in the presence of God, what's the only only response is is worship, right? God, you are worthy. That's what worship is, literally worth-ship. You are worthy. 
You are worth it. God, would you help me in this? Like, I, I know I need to grow in this area. I need to grow in this. But it seems clear in the psalm that even in the midst of the storm and the chaos of unjust accusations or whatever it is, worship is still possible. Worship is still possible. Like the more we draw near to God, the more we see him and know him and wrap ourselves up in him, usually the bigger he gets, you with me? The bigger he gets, the smaller our problems get. Like think of an amazing, think of anything amazing and powerful in your life. Like for me, it's always when I go on top of a mountain, climb up a mountain, and you see the, the view, or I stand on the edge of the ocean. Maybe it's a, a, a starry night. You know, like if you've ever been on a mountain or out in the country where there's no light pollution, and you see that starry night like you've never seen before, and the, the, the immensity and the grandeur of the universe just drops on you, and, and, and you're thinking about, man, there's a God who created all of this. And he says that he loves me and he knows me in Jesus. Like it's in those moments of, of hugeness, enormity, and grandeur when you feel very, very small but very alive. As you encounter a power so much greater than yourself and a beauty so much deeper and profound than what we find in ourselves. It takes your mind, think about it, it takes your mind, even for a brief moment, it takes your mind off your problems as you're engulfed in the greatness of what you're viewing. Like that's a picture of what worship is like. I, I think of the, the storm that we had last Monday. I don't know where y'all live, but where we live on the east side over by La Follette High School, there was about five minutes of craziness. And I, I can't remember when I've seen winds like that probably in my adult life. And it was just myself and Emery home, and we're standing at the, at the window. And, it, you know, y'all, if you remember, it got dark, really dark, like the streetlights are going to turn on dark. And, and you all know, and you're thinking like, okay, what's about to go down? And then it came, and uh, we're, at the, we're at, the, at the window watching this intensify, intensify, and the trees are going like this. You know, and I'm wondering, like, is one of these trees going to fall on our house? Is it time to hit the basement? And, you know, Emery's kind of like, hey, this looks cool. Let's go out and check it out. I'm like, no, <laughs> we're not going outside. And uh, just sheets of rain, like, going, like, horizontal. And, um, and then it just kind of dissipated. It was five minutes. By the time I was like, okay, this is getting serious, it was starting to die down. Garbage cans blowing through the street, tree branches everywhere. And, and, and it struck me that in that moment, as I'm standing in front of the window looking at our neighborhood and what's going down, I'm not thinking about my personal problems in that moment. I'm thinking about the power and the greatness of what is before my eyes. I'm struck by this. And then I remember how Jesus dealt with the storm. And it was similar. Those disciples had the same feeling of like, there's this power out here that's really, really big. It's really, really strong. We're not going to be able to control it. 
And Jesus wakes up from his nap and he calms the storm with a word. And the disciples recognize very quickly that the storm that they were really afraid of pales in comparison to the one that is in the boat with them. And he might be even more terrifying when he hushes the storm with a word. Who is this Jesus that's in this boat with us? I'm pretty sure they probably weren't thinking about the economics of being a fisherman at that point. Right? Of like, are we going to make it this month or not? Who is this Jesus? Caught up in Jesus. In awe of Jesus. That's worship. And if we know, as they soon learned, that that kind of power is also a heavenly father who, who loves me, who sent his son to die for me in my place, to take the wrath of God from me and onto himself as a gift, and that that grandeur and that power is not against me, but for me in Jesus, when I come to Jesus and turn from sin and come to Jesus as my trust and my treasure that that grandeur and that power is not out to get me, but wants to see my greatest flourishing in glorifying him. Like that has to lead to worship like we read in verse 4. Like when you're in the presence of God, the dwelling, verse 3, that will lead to the altar of God. That's Old Testament language for worship, for sacrifice, And God, my exceeding joy. See, he's not talking about vindication anymore. He's progressed to, God, you're my God, and you are my joy. Because I, I'm in your presence. I see your presence is all around me. Like the crying out for vindication, as important as that is, isn't primary anymore. It doesn't mean it's not important. It just means that the main thing in view for the suffering psalmist is God. Jesus, for us, is what's in view. We don't go to the altar anymore. We go to Jesus. Jesus is the sacrifice on the altar for us. His greatness and grandeur is seen at the cross where he is the sacrifice on the altar for us. And then his resurrection from the dead, confirming it all true. Blows our minds. God, you are great. You are good. You're going to make all things right. One day there will be vindication. Even if I don't have it right now, one day it's coming. And what does that lead to over time? What does that lead to? Just like the psalmist says, verse 4, exceeding joy. Exceeding joy. His presence is what is consuming me, not my suffering. I love this quote from, from John Piper as he comments on this passage of Scripture. He says this, isn't it amazing? Isn't this amazing? Here is a man threatened by enemies, talking of the psalmist. Psalmist, here is a man threatened by enemies and feeling danger from his adversaries. And he knows that the ultimate battle of his life is not the defeat of his enemies. It's not the escaping natural catastrophe. It's not being healed from cancer. The ultimate battle is, will God be his exceeding joy? 
will God be the gladness at the heart of all his joys? And, and, and as the psalmist observes himself in this fight of faith, look at how his perspective has changed through the psalm as we close with verse 5. Look at how the progression has changed. Look at verse 5. <clears throat> Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself now, right? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's like he looks back to verse 1, and he sees how cast down he was. And he's gone through this progression of confession of his feelings, of, of, of praying and asking God, to send light and truth, and he's caught up in the presence of God. He sees the joy, and now he's able to talk to himself. In light of the injustice he's experiencing, in light of the, the deep need to feel, Lord, will you vindicate me? I feel this so deeply. But he's not emphasizing that anymore. He's talking to himself. He's talking to his own soul, his, his essence, his inner non-physical person. He's talking to himself. He's preaching to himself. You see that? Remember, Christian or non-Christian in the room, you talk to yourself more than anybody. You talk to you more than anybody else talks to you. I can't think of a better way to close the sermon than with this Famous quote from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous British preacher from many decades ago. He has a book called Spiritual Depression that I'd recommend to anybody. I read it when I was in the deep darkness of some things in my life a few years ago. And this is probably one of the most famous quotes from the, his book, Spiritual Depression. He says this, Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday. Someone is talking. Who's talking to you? Your self is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in this psalm was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul has been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. So when your self, your self, those thoughts that come through your mind when they come with lies, like God has rejected me, what are you going to do? What did Jesus do? When Satan came at him in Matthew chapter 4 with lies, like bow down and worship me and I'll just give you the whole ends of the earth. It can be yours. All the kingdoms of the earth can be yours if you just bow down and worship me. How did Jesus respond? He said, no, I'm going to respond with scripture. I'm going to talk to you, Satan, with scripture. I'm going to battle you, Satan, with scripture. 
Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He uses God's word. We talk to ourselves with God's word. We fight the crushing weight of a downcast soul, a soul that's crushed through injustice and a desire for vindication with the presence of God through his word. That's why what I preached last week in Psalm 1 is so vital for putting into action what we're seeing today in Psalm 43. What was last week? Last week was, I'm delighting in what you have revealed, God. I'm delighting in your revelation of yourself in your word. Right here. I'm delighting in the law of the Lord. I'm delighting in the gospels. I'm delighting in the epistles. I'm delighting in the prophetic books. I'm delighting in all of it. Because that's going to enable me to be like a tree that's planted by streams of living water that yields its fruit in season, having prosperity and endurance and perseverance because I'm equipped to speak to myself. I'm equipped now to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. I'm not going to be a victim of my own mind. I'm not going to be a, a, a victim of the flesh and the world and the devil. No, I'm armed with God's word that allows me to say, nope, self, those are wrong thoughts. Here's what the right thought is. I'm feeling condemned right now, and that, that thought is coming into my brain. But what does Romans 8.1 says? It says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because I've memorized that. I'm applying it, I'm speaking it, and I'm preaching it to myself. I'm not going to listen to myself, I'm going to preach to myself. And when I fear that God's not going to provide for me, I'm going to remember Romans 8.32, that he who gave his own son, when Jesus died for us, the promise is, if he did the hard thing, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? That's Romans 8.32. God provides. He's not oblivious to what I'm enduring. And when I'm feeling like this raging sense of anxiety, I remember Isaiah 26.3, he keeps in perfect peace because his heart is stayed on you. Like there's, there's peace that comes eventually when our heart is fixated. That's Isaiah 26.3. And I preach that to myself more than I listen to myself when the chaos is swirling around me. And I just want some peace. You see what I'm doing here? So in this way, we experience the presence of God through the word of God. Through speaking to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. Like this is why we need God's word so deeply. This is why when you neglect God's word, it just makes you spiritually famished and really powerless to overcome these lies that we were tempted to believe that swirl around in our heads all the time or that other people are saying to you or that you're reading uh, online, or you're seeing on billboards, or you're seeing in media. This is why we need God's word so deeply. Like, as, as a pastor, as a shepherd, I speak for our elders, when we want you to know God and to be able to do this psalm. But we can't just make you get in your Bible but we're pleading with you. If you want to be spiritually strong, if you want to be able to do this psalm, like neglecting God's word is just going to make you miserable and weak. But when you engage with God as a gift, not to prove anything, not to try to do self-justification, that's not the gospel, but because you have a loving father that knows you and loves you and you want to be near him and you want to know him and you want to be strong against the, the flaming arrows of the devil, 
who roars, roars like a, a lion on the prowl trying to consume us. When you know that's the reality, then God's word is going to be your strength, your joy. We want that for you. Coming to church on Sunday is a great way to do that. We're doing it right now. Yes, amen. Going to city group where, where the Bible should be central in various forms. Yes, amen. But it should also be when you're alone. It should also be in some form, like maybe in, in your household family. Because we want you to be able to do the progression of this psalm. That when you speak to yourself, there's content there. It's not just some pep talk. It's not just some self-esteem thing. No, it's like I've got the rock-solid word of God that I've hidden in my heart, and so now I'm equipped to fight, to do this progression. May God be our exceeding joy. Because when we see him in his word and in creation and in the historical events of King Jesus, it gives us endurance in the face of trials that come our way like we see in Psalm 43. May it be so. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of the psalm. May you help us see it, embrace it, know it, live in light of it, Lord. I know there's so many among us this morning even that, that are feeling verses 1 and 2. Lord, would you help them? Would you comfort them with the truth of your word? that you are a provider, that you will keep us in perfect peace eventually, that we can trust in you with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. When we acknowledge you, you make our, our path straight. Lord, would you make these truths ours this morning as a church for the sake of our discipleship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.